0: What's up traders, Anthony Cordelli here and thank you for tuning in to the Futures Radio Show podcast. We are live on Periscope and YouTube. If you're on YouTube and you're enjoying the podcast, click that subscribe button and give us a thumbs up. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited for this interview today and I've been waiting for a while to have this interview because I wanted to read the book. And the book is called The Mental Game of Trading and it's with Jared Tendler. It's an excellent book. I highly recommend it. You traders out there, go and get this book. I loved it. And you guys all know I love to talk about psychology. And today we're going to talk a lot about that. The topics we're going to talk about today are poker compared to trading, mapping your pattern, things can get worse before they get better, burnout, bloated brain, fear and tilt. Fear and tilt. I think we're probably going to start with that today. Confidence, discipline, and then when life bleeds in, to trading, All things we can relate to as traders. Like I said, I'm really excited to have Jared on the show today. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group and Micro Treasury Futures. They're coming to CME on August 16th. Learn more at activetrader.cmegroup.com. Futures Radio Show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, TradeStation, and FTSE Russell. The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small-cap U.S. stocks. To learn more about FTSE Russell and their products, please visit footsierussell.com We'll be right back with Jared Replace your exchange with TradeStation Crypto Dealing with multiple
1: exchanges is complicated and it takes time except with TradeStation Crypto because we are not an exchange we are a broker You have access to multiple pools of liquidity all in one platform in one account one way Trade Crypto your way Plus, earn interest on your eligible cryptocurrencies. Get started in one click.
0: Jared, what's going on, my man? me, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining me today on this FOMC. And thank you to all the traders out there joining us on an FOMC day. And I actually want to start off talking about that and why I'm actually doing this on an FOMC day. Going back in my career, this was a day that I marked off on my calendar and this was probably one of the days I traded the most over the course of my career. I just made sure I never missed it. Same with unemployment. That was the same way for a lot of years. And I would say over the last several years, I just stopped trading these days because it's uh, I, I found myself overreacting to the overreaction. And Ira Harrison, and I talked about this. And uh, I said, day one is the overreaction. Day two is the reaction to day one. And day three is what you really find out what the Fed did, if it had any impact on the market. And your whole book is about getting to know yourself, dealing with all these things that we deal with as traders. And one of the things I know is because this has not been a good day historically for me, I took it off and I want to be working on the mental side of things on a day like today. Perfect so it's timing. Pretty... Yeah. yeah. Perfect timing. So the book is great. I read it. Thank you much, so much, and traders. This is the book. It's excellent. And, I'm going to focus a lot on the final chapter. I think it was chapter 10. I, that was just, I thought it was great. It res- a lot of the parts of the book resonate with me. I learned some things. And, and the first part I want to talk about really is fear and tilt. Because to me, I use fear as my greatest motivator. And I know you talk, the way you talk about fear in the book is a little bit different than the way that I use it. And I think I've just sectioned off my thinking to, to use this as a motivational tool. Fear to me, I'm feared to, to be broke again because I've had money in my account and I've blown it all up. I'm, I'm feared not to be able to, to be in business. A lot of the things I fear are my motivation because I use them as drivers. Like I said, just purely as motivation. Talk to us about just what we all deal with is in, in, with fear as traders.
1: We got to look at emotion more holistically and say you need emotion to drive your decision making, to drive you towards your goals. I, I saw the Jordan shirt behind you. He was a master of being able to, to control his emotions. And for him, anger was his big motivator, right? So we look at the best of the best. They have a mastery of their emotions to be able to find the right formula to produce the best outcomes for them. So for you to use fear in that way, I, I think is common. And where I would question, not necessarily for you, but for uh, other traders, is that driver limiting you in some way? Is it uh, affecting your decision-making in some way? And if the answer is no, and it's only additive, giving you the right motivation, giving you the right kind of clarity and focus when you when it comes to execution, then it's not a problem, it's actually helping you. We can look at this like kind of upside down U curve. It's called the Yerkes-Dodson law. It basically defines this relationship between performance and emotion. And if your emotion is too low, you suck. If your emotions are too overactive, you suck equally too. We're looking for yeah, to this totally. right formula right at the top where you, know, you have this right balance and, and you've found that for you.
0: So many people say you need to learn how to trade without any emotion. Yeah, obviously, you and I both agree that's just is a bunch of nonsense. and people yeah. that say that they can do that, I just find <laughs> it's just I don't know, I want to get into that, but Called yeah, denial. yeah, exactly. and I but I'm gonna you know what and I'm gonna say mm-hmm. this. I was somebody who felt that I was trying to achieve that until I finally embraced the fact that I could use my emotions as an edge and fear was one of them. yeah, and I really looked at fear and said, look it, how many times are you gonna do this to yourself? How many times are you are you through? That's what I these are the discussions I'd have with myself in the mirror. Are you done? Are, are you done blowing up this money? Are you done making these mistakes you keep making over and over again? And that's when you get on tilt too. I think that, you know, they, to me, fear and tilt, they're so intertwined, at least in my mind, in my trading, because I would look at the mistakes I made and the fear of making them again. And then when I would make them again is when I would go on tilt and they just fed each other.
1: Yeah, mistake tilt is what that would be called. And a lot of that self-criticism is misguided because you're not really understanding why those mistakes are occurring, but maybe back in the day, right, fear wasn't that pure motivator for you. And we need to actually peel back the layers and find out what are the flaws behind there that's creating this bias that you're imprinting into the market and clouding your judgment, causing these mistakes. That's where fear is really problematic. If we look at it at a very basic level. Fear is a useful tool for picking up and absorbing a lot of data. If you're able to remove a, a vast majority of your own bias, then what's left, right? Now, actually, the fear could be a signal of some intuition that you have either about your positions, about the market. I'm not always saying that it's 100% accurate, but I am saying that when your emotions are more clear, they can be representative of your system, your strategy, and how it's interacting with market conditions.
0: You mentioned that your emotions, when they're more clear to you as a person, I think, we also mentioned denial a little bit today, like people we said the people that don't recognize that they're trading with emotion, that it's a part of a part of what we do. How do you become more clear? For me, it was that conversation I had with myself where I'm like, "Look, it, you're just fighting this instead of just embracing it. Stop fighting it, embrace it." How do people get to that point? You guys are
1: masters at being able to identify opportunities within price movement and volume, and you're looking at levels all the time. Like you to to novice traders, what you do looks like wizardry, right? But it's not. It's just a ton of work pouring over details and nuances and seeing patterns and having conversations. Imagine doing one percent of that for identifying your own patterning within your emotions. And all of a sudden you create an incredible skill set to see in real time the escalation of emotion. So you mentioned the mapping of your pattern. I mean, that that is the first thing that traders need to do is to be able to just do a little bit of a, of a kind of a self-analysis. Sometimes in real time, right? Depending on the type of trading you're doing, have a notepad next to you and capture the thoughts that come to mind, capture the specific emotions, the situations, the triggers, like what specifically is throwing you off? Is it a particular type of setup? Is it a particular type of market condition? Is it a day like today when you know there's uh, big reports coming out news coming out? Those situations, so you're trying to map all of that. And when you do that, you can start to then use the book and do the sort of self-diagnostic self-assessment to see, ah, okay, if I'm having these thoughts, it means that my fear of failure is related to this attachment I have to unrealized gains. And yeah, I'm thinking money is mine before it's mine. And then of course, when I see a position dropping against me, I'm going to start to feel nervous and want to close it out and lock it up. But it's only happening because I'm thinking money is mine
0: prematurely. I think one of the hardest things for me to really wrap my head around is what emotions were actually triggering when while I was trading and I'm going to stay on fear and tilt a little bit because when I think about fear of loss, FOMO, those things are very negative. And I use those also as to, I, I go back to the feeling I feel after I make the mistake. So I don't want to go back to that. Like today with the FOMC day, it was hard for me not to trade this day, this I have FOMO. You're like, God, I could be really busy. I could make a lot of money. And that's what you think. And I went back and looked at my stats and every time it was this, these busy FOMC days, I'm getting my butt kicked. And it's why. And it's because I just think also I was in such a different mindset going into this day than I was in other days. I wasn't as calm. I wasn't relaxed. There's just so many things that fear is, I think it branches off into so many different ways. And I just I think getting to the point where I just harnessed one side of it. And it, I don't want to say it insulated me, but it was able to like as things were happening, I was able to just make better decisions in those moments. You're like, hey, man, you know how you feel here. Step back or just do these certain things and implement things. How do people go about recognizing what that emotion is? And how to do maybe some of the things that like I did and turn them into positives. I think a lot of
1: it is doing that mapping and looking at it as something that you do regularly. To okay. do it once and think that's going to solve it is just a little bit naive. This is a skill. Like, like anything else, it took you a long time to develop the skill as a trader. The skills as a trader and, and they continue to adapt and evolve. So to me, I think this is why I like the term mental game. Because a mindset, I think, uh, implies something static as if you can get into the right mindset and you're there permanently. There's a constant evolution as your career evolves. Y- your needs grow. You, you mentioned, okay, so here's this tilt coming on the heels of fear. Then, okay, so now you've solved that. You're not making mistakes out of fear anymore. Well, what comes next? May, are there some motivational ups and downs? Are there some focus ups and downs? There's, we're, we're never going to solve ourselves. So to backtrack, I think it's about a dedicated practice in the short term, to take these notes, be reflective, use the book as a tool to better self-analyze and recognize what emotions you're feeling, what thoughts are coming to mind, what the situations are, how is your decision-making process changing? And to do that over a course of a couple of weeks. And, and there's no doubt that if you're doing that nine times out of 10, you're going to identify more than you did at the outset. I've done this work with a lot of with a lot of traders. And invariably, they're able to recognize more and more as they do this, and then once you have this brainstorm, you want to turn it into something that's a little bit more polished, right? You don't want to focus on the things that only happen, you know, one out of 10 times. It's, what is the main, what is the main stuff, uh, the main emotions that, that are happening and put it into some kind of a scale. I like to use a scale of one to 10, right? So what's the lowest amount of fear up to the highest amount of fear or the lowest amount of tilt up to the highest amount of tilt? And the reason that is so important is because if you're going to start to gain command or control or even correct your emotions in real time, you have to catch it early. right? If your emotions get to be too overactive, it shuts down higher brain function. And one of those higher brain functions is it lives in the, this place called the prefrontal cortex. It's the place that's supposed to be controlling emotions. So if you do a brain scan, chop the top of my head off, look at an MRI, you see that spot right in the front of your brain is, is red hot as it's trying to control emotions. But your emotional system has the power to shut it off if it gets to be too high. So the part of the brain responsible for controlling emotion can be shut down by emotion. It's a crazy messed up system, but this is what we got to deal with. So the only way to work around that is to recognize these early signals, right? That tilt is going to flood my system and cause me to do a bunch of dumb things that I'm going to regret and be pissed off at. You got to catch it early and that's where you're going to be most
0: effective. Just hearing this, the traders out there listening to this, this is why it's so important to have a journal beyond just statistics and what your stats are and what, like you said, mindset versus the mental game, I go back to, I had a really good mental game built for, uh, it took me years of course, but I still struggled on FOMC days because I went in with a mindset of just, I'm just coming in. I'm just, my ADD was kicking I, I needed things right away. You know, all of a sudden you know, I haven't scalped in weeks and all of a sudden I'm scalping an FOMC day and just making expectations
1: every- too. Did you think you like expected yourself to make money in days like today? There was a lot of action a lot of things happening.
0: Yeah. And it's, yes, I, my expectations are that I'm always going to make money because I come in with it. I'm very positive in my thinking, mm-hmm. but I don't set the expectation as to how much I just, I come in and expect to just do good is the way I feel. And and obviously I, I want to make money, but I think on the FOMC days, the biggest issue I've had is just like this. Almost this nervousness of where you're like, you're coming in, here's this meeting, and you're sitting there and you're ready to do it versus like my normal routine and also my normal time that I would be trading. I'm normally, especially when I was day trading exclusively, the morning was the best trade for me. I stunk in the afternoons most of the time. Uh, I, I really was never a great afternoon trader. Majority of my money was made in the morning. So then I get to the afternoon. It's after lunch. It's just, I just come in, in there and I'm off.
1: Yeah, it's possible your nervousness was a signal to you that it just wasn't the right time period and that you weren't, your strategy wasn't maybe as locked up for that kind of a day. I talk about this in the fear chapter, right? And there's two examples I give of traders, one with FOMO, one with just a generalized fear. He thought it was a fear of losing. Neither of them had it. They both realized that the fear was just a signal that they sucked in a couple places. One was a relatively new trader, two to three years in, very discretionary. And having a lot of hesitation and second guessing that the moment of entry. And when I the light bulb clicked for him when I said, no, no, right now trading is 10% mental and 90% technical. You need to do the work to actually systematize even some of your discretionary decisions. The fear went away. Second guy was FOMO. It was he was able to see the right spot, but needed to actually zoom in because his stops were so tight that he was getting stopped out of these positions because he wasn't actually able to see the, the market turn in the way that he wanted to change that tactic and the fear went away. So again, I think in your case, we are not we're, we have to make a distinction between fear or anger that is coming because of our own biases, our flaws, illusions that we have, wishes that we have. I'll talk about expectations in a sec, but and how those imprint in the market versus our own sensory system reacting to what's happening with our strategy and our system with the market. That's no different than feeling you know, like your hand getting pricked with a pin or a rubber mallet to your
0: knee. We need our sensory system. Our emotions can be like that too. Distinction of emotions. It's just so important. You've worked with a lot of traders. What is the most common issue that traders have? Uh, it's strange to say, but like a faulty
1: perception of what the problem is. I think a lot of them, they look at the situations like what we're talking about here, and they think that, Emotion is the problem, so that's one. Two, they don't understand the, the mechanisms within the mind, within the brain to shut down higher brain function, or how the emotions shut down higher brain function. They think sometimes the problem is them. They use the term self-sabotage, which to me is a garbage term. It implies some degree of control. You do not have control of this stuff. That's the point, right? You're not self-sabotaging. You're not consciously messing up here. And so the faulty reasoning here is we need to isolate the underlying flaws, illusions, biases, et cetera, because they are the real problem. The emotions are just the signal, right? They're the signal of that layer of, of problems. We could use it as a symptom. You go to the doctor you, and you tell me you got a fever, right? The fever is not the problem. The fever is the symptom. The fe- fever is the signal that, that you need to look closer here. You know, when we were talking about earlier, like what, what do traders need to do to be able to self analyze this stuff? It's like use whatever signals come to mind right now sometimes it could just be tension in your hand as you recognize there's a death grip on the mouse or that you're like zoomed into one chart disregarding the others any of those things can be the beginning of mapping that pattern but you
0: got to have the interest of, of at looking at it something you said about you said that traders aren't consciously let's say blowing up their accounts or not consciously causing harm to themselves and, and i'm going to i'm going to say something i think a lot of traders will be able to relate to. This is something that I did when I was blowing up accounts and I blew up a few of them. I was so good at protecting the money when I had just written that check packing the account and I was just so good for a period of time. Flawless, pretty much. Down 500 bucks, goodbye. Then I get down to where I have 5,000 in, in my account and all of a sudden, my risk is out the window. And I feel every time I would do that, I would feel like I'm actually like, I'm almost saying to myself just blow me out again so I can get back to my 25,000 or whatever I had put in at the time was for me it was 25,000 for a few of them just because I wanted to be back in that mental state of mine. And so at that time I'm just hurting myself it's almost like a cry for help until I got down to the point where I finally said it goes back to fear. I'm I'm not this is it. There's no more money. <laughs> You've got to make this work. And so to me I felt like I was almost trying to blow up.
1: Now are just lazy now, no,
0: is that what it, it is? Yeah, it's just lazy. It, it, I mean,
1: yes, on the surface, and I think because a lot of people describe it in the way that you're describing it, it circles the waters and it's like, oh yeah, well, that's what I'm doing too. You're basically just gambling. Like the loss aversion there is out the window because you're you're down so much, so you might as well just try to gamble and see if you can recover it all really quick or not. And 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 now we can start over and start clean again. And it's like this like big mental reset. Yeah, but it's just lazy. It, it's not wanting to do the hard work at a hard time to stay consistent with your execution because when we look at, look at this from a performance standpoint, traders are no different than athletes. So look at the Olympics right now, poker players, golfers, doesn't matter. Like your decision-making process is your technique. And if it blows up at those times, then what does that mean? It means that's kind of part of your range down the line, right? You're going to have the opportunity to make similarly bad decisions because you haven't figured out how in those high pressure for you situations to make the right decision and, and actually grind your way back up. You're just looking for a shortcut to to make it back. And frankly, a lot of people are looking for that in general. So,
0: I just think it, every, so many traders I've talked to over the years, we've done the same exact mistakes, so many of them. And that was one of them. Every time we get down to a low amount, all of a sudden the risk is, we're not as good as, as managing the risk as we were with more money in there, which makes absolutely no sense. But that's what a lot of us did. And another thing that we do, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this is I remember my risk management pu- pulling me aside, Anthony Alicio at the time, he was, <laughs> him and Frank Mann were my risk managers for a lot of years. I remember Anthony pulling me aside going, every day you're up like 1,500 or to almost 2,000 bucks. And then by the end of the day, I'm looking at you and you're down that much. And I used to have this thing where I wanted to make 2,000 bucks in a day. This was a time in my career where I was fixated on this number and I'd be up. $1,875 and I would blow this whole day to make 125 bucks like a complete moron. And I look back at it and I think about how ridiculous this was, but I did that so many times that it was like, I don't even know how to explain how ridiculous it even sounds where I'd be hitting my limit and I talked to him as my risk manager. And I would say, if I get down this much, just pull the plug. And he would be all of a sudden, he'd be, what are you doing? Well, why do we do that? It's just an, I think you're trying to make trading like a normal job.
1: It's not. The markets don't work that way. Uh, there's too much variance in, in involved. It makes sense on the surface, right? Your job is to trade. So yeah, let's make it like a nine to five where I'm getting a paycheck. But the upside is a lot greater than that. So on some level, you're limiting yourself by saying you want to make 2K today. And on other, si- other times, like you, you just described, it's going to lead to some poor decision making. It's a tricky thing, right? Because in the short term, there's a lot of false feedback. So you're trying to work, like the right execution. At the same time, you're trying to figure out what the heck that even means because the market's changing. You, you talk about the, the the analogies between poker and trading. I think what's so different about trading is that the game can change like that. You could be playing no limit hold'em pre flop. And then you're betting into this hand and, and all of a sudden on the, on, the, on the flop, you're playing PLO and somebody else's has two more cards. You know, the game can change in a dime and it's super tricky, but yet you've got these systems and strategies in place that, and, and the risk management in place to execute your edge and leverage it over enough instances, trades to make your money. And so some days that's going to mean, yeah, 1500 bucks is you executing flawlessly, right? So there's a tool in the book I call the A to C game analysis, Highly recommend everybody do it. If they don't want to get the book, just go to my website. There's a free download to do it. And what it does is it helps you to articulate the differences between you at your best A game, your worst C game, and the in-between B game. And so I think a better way of evaluating yourself day to day is not arbitrary numbers like 2K a day, but saying, no, I want to execute some range of trades that are of high quality. And this is the strange part. You want to focus really intensively on process and execution within the day. But then the money matters in the long run. Sometimes we have to tease out the differences between where we're going to put our, our emphasis on results and money, which do matter. I don't care. Some people say it's all about decision-making and results. Money doesn't matter. F that, right? No, money matters. Okay. And then the other time we go too far the other way and say, it's all about results. No, it's a combination. It's results and process. So in the trenches, we're focused on quality execution process. You zoom out at the day and you're looking at how well you executed, and you can look at that as a result-based thing, right? If you've got metrics to evaluate the quality of those decisions, and then you zoom out farther, and now the results and the actual money that you're making or losing becomes the the bigger point of focus.
0: I totally agree with you. It is a balance. I know some people don't look at their PL, some people always look at their PML, PL, some people look at the dome, some people don't look at the dome. We all play these psychological games on ourselves. So whatever we're comfortable with, it is totally a choice. But I for me, I'm somebody, I keep my P&L up. I don't stare at it. I don't stare at the dome. There's, yeah, you know, I, I don't need to. I pretty much always know where I'm at with, with the positions, especially these days. I'm not intraday trading nearly as much as I used to. I'm definitely doing more swing positions. But I think there, it goes back to just having the awareness of what works for you as a trader and what doesn't work for you and embracing the fact that emotions are a part of this. And I want to get to where you said, like trading is a business, it, but it's not like any other business. And so many people will say trading is a business. You got to treat it like a business. Yes. And I agree with what you said that it's, but it's unlike any other business. I worked my butt off and I was losing money. Okay. That, that's not the same. I, I know that's definitely could be the case with a lot of other businesses. I'm not saying that, but I was, I felt like I was doing everything right. And everything I, my process was, I felt was really good, but my results stunk. So I'm forced with this point where it's, yeah, I'm just going through with this, but it, it, at some point, the results, they have to start to matter, right? Like I have to figure out how to get to results. That's like you said, it's the balance. Explain how we find that balance, because that, that's not easy.
1: It's not easy, and it depends on where you are in your evolution as a trader. I think it's a different conversation if you've been doing this for 18 months versus 18 years or 10 years. I've worked with both traders that have had, they've done incredibly well. And then I've had this one guy who blew up in the financial crisis of 09 was successful for a decade and then just couldn't find an edge again. And then had to get another job and has been struggling to climb his way back up, but doing it successfully and finding a new edge. It's like that stuff happens. So yeah, the balancing act is tricky in the short term we got to be a little bit defiant and hold to our longer term trend for ourselves in terms of how much we're making. I think you want to, again, if you've got that kind of delineation of your own execution, it becomes a lot faster to identify when you're making some small mistakes. Right. And sometimes this often happens when periods where you're just, you know killing it these overconfidence can creep up creep in there easily and you can start to get a little bit loose in some of your risk parameters and maybe enter some positions a little bit late even though they don't kind of check all the boxes and you get lucky and I, my point is that if you've got a more objective way of analyzing your decision making day to day you can sometimes avoid going sideways uh, with your own execution even though your account is is rising rapidly and the same can be true in the flip side so having some way of being a bit more objective i think is really key which is why that tool is so important
0: and this is also why it takes time to become a successful trader everybody comes into this with high expectations and we're going to go there next and people ask me a lot why do you think that traders fail i was actually on a show the other day the stock trading pit with the trendspider guys and they were asking me what i would what advice i would give to the new traders and i would one of the things i talked about was temper your expectations you've got to be in in this for the long haul. And there's just so many different balances you have to go through as a trader. It's why it's so unlike any other business. It's because you have to find balance in so many different things. And there's just so much that goes on in the trading and then in your mind. <laughs> the markets are always changing. And how... Talk to us a little bit about that. I, I want to just hear what you think about the expectation side of things.
1: Yeah, it's massive. And, and look, the media does a good job of it too. We celebrate the the hedge fund guys that have made billions, and everybody thinks that the trading can be a lottery ticket. And it's the same in poker. right? There's a lot of people to see saw Chris Moneymaker win the World Series of Poker main event in 2001 and or 2003, whatever it was. And all of a sudden, now everybody wants to play online poker and seeing so so. To me, trading is difficult because the barriers to entry are zero, right? Other than the capital. Yes. Today, I could fork over $20,000 and be playing a PGA Tour event. It's effectively what's happening. But, but this is in golf where the natural selection process for skills to rise to the top and make it at that level is just not existent within trading. So you have to be your own boss. You have to be your own coach. And but yeah, the tempering your expectations comes from a nice dose of sober reality that says, this thing is hard. It's not impossible, but it's hard. And you can be opportunistic. You can be, you can have a lot of belief in yourself, but you can't be like the American Idol contestant that thinks they have an amazing voice and just flats and doesn't know it. That kind of blind overconfidence is something called prospect, uh, sorry, something called um, the Dunning-Kruger effect, where people are so overconfident because they're so underskilled at recognizing their own lack of skill. Cracking through that overconfidence for people like that is incredibly difficult. And I would profess to say that none of them come for coaching with me. And it takes sometimes getting kicked in the face a couple of times before you wake up.
0: Well, the thing is, it, trading is hard, no doubt. It's not impossible, like you said. What's hard is to make the amount of money you want to make in trading. And this is this goes back to the expectations, right? I, I remember when we first started to trade, a lot of my friends, 20, plus years ago, we took small amounts of money and built it into bigger amounts. And we would, a lot of stories of guys on the trading floor would have 25, 50 grand that became millionaires. Okay. Totally different times, totally different environment, right? Nowadays, people come in with small amounts of money and expect to make millions. Maybe not all of them have that high of expectations, but they have-
1: coin millionaires. Up.
0: Yeah. So they're just trying to come in. And when you come in, I look at it now, I look at it so differently for myself I'm barely using margin. I will use it because I trade futures. So obviously it's a leveraged product anyway, but I try to keep it as minimal as possible. And I'm just trying to grow my account versus before I tried to just explode my account and, and not in a bad way, just in a way where it's like this race to millions. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I know a lot of people are going to say, yeah, Anthony, you've been doing this a long time. You made some money and you're now you're just trying to continue to grow it. Yes, that's true. But if I were to start even today, knowing what I know about this business, I would think about it the same way. I, I, it doesn't matter how much money. You, if you want to get to the amount of money you want to get to, it's still going to take time. There is no explosion of just this working out for you. And I think that's just a, a, a mistake that so many people make. And that's why we just keep getting people in and out of this business. And it's just because their expectations are skewed.
1: And even if they have that explosion, let's say they they have the success, what, what's the, what are the odds that they're going to keep it? Would, oh, exactly. Your way is really looking at systematic, sustainable edge in the market that becomes a cash cow, man. Like you're just a printing press. That, that's like kind of true security in my mind. Explosion is going to come falling down at some point if you don't have the skill to be able to sustain it.
0: Sustainability. I, I said this a while ago on a tweet. I said, sustaining success was much harder for me than achieving success. Mm. Now, it depends on how you want to classify success, but my thoughts initially when I wanted to become a successful trader was to be able to do this and not have to work another job because I was still clerking on the floor, doing other things at night to be able to survive. As a trader, the goal was to be able to not have to do that. So that to me was success. But then when I got there, that was even harder to sustain it, because I'm like, okay, now I'm used to this lifestyle. Now my lifestyle's changed. Pax and I talked about this last uh, week. Anthony Crudelli at one point was clipping 500 lots, clips in the minis, and then all of a sudden one day I'm back to trading 5 and 10 lots. And you have to be able to just say, this is who I am today. Mm-hmm. If you can't admit it, market will keep taking.
1: Yep. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of dominant dynasties in sports. The Tom Brady's, the, best. Uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide, the UConn women basketball, because I think they're they poster child, they're both they're poster people for sustained excellence at the highest level. And I think it's super fascinating to understand what they're doing differently and why they're able to do it. And I'll say that one simple one is they have a ruthless attention to their own weaknesses. Not ruthless against them, right? It's not the self-criticism, the damning the hard edge towards them. It's they believe that the ignorance of their own weaknesses to be the greatest threat to their own sustain- their own growth and, and excellence. Right? If they don't know what they're working on, they don't know where their weaknesses are, that's that's an, an incredibly threatening place to be for them. So yeah, and a lot of traders, a lot of people are the exact opposite, right? They want to bury their head in the sand. They want to think it's all roses and fairies and rainbows, and it's not, right? We got to look at sometimes the, the crap and the shit and, and put ourselves in it. Be Andy Dufresne, crawl through it, and come out queen on the other side.
0: Well, that's why so many educators on YouTube are constantly doing these commercials. People want to be lied to. And I'm not saying that to be crude about this, but it's, I think that a lot of people just want to be told, look, you follow me, and you're going to make money. 100%. And that just is just not the case. <laughs> I've stood next to guys that I knew made millions of dollars, did the same thing they did, and I lost money. What does that tell you? That's why I look at these things and I go, this is, there's no way you could, I don't know how they get away with claiming the stuff they do. It is what it is. But I just know from actually seeing it, guys, I work for millionaires and, and I'm sitting there going, I cannot believe I can't even pay my seat lease. I can't rent an apartment. And, and I, so I've been there So it doesn't work that way, but a lot to discuss. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, everybody, I want to talk about burnout because that's important, right? And when life bleeds into trading, that's also something I think is extremely important to talk about. Talk a little bit about bloated brain and poker compared to trading. And while we're gone for this real quick break, I want you guys to enjoy these clips that I'm adding now from previous live shows. And we're going to start off with a quick little PAX commercial, we'll call it. Be right back, everybody. I want you to talk to everybody about the different personalities that we saw and how you were able to figure out how PEX became PEX. I was a runner for Rosenthal Collins and I started in, in January of 88 after the crash. So the markets were dead. So my father found out that I was driving a truck on the south side and said, you better figure something out. So I didn't want to be a cop, fireman, or a criminal. So I went to the Merck. I didn't have a rich father, a rich uncle. I didn't know anybody. If I was going to have a career down there. And, and the second that I walked onto the floor, as so many of us have said, that energy was immediately addictive. It was pulsating. It was amazing. I knew that that's where I wanted to be. I, I knew also that I had to earn it. Nobody was going to give it to me. And I didn't have the, the family money or the family connection. My mother had breast cancer surgery. I was at work. I worked hard. I went from struggling not being able to, to figure anything out. I couldn't make a nickel. I had $257 left in my trading account. Steve Mendez was the first trader that I wanted to emulate. I earned my shot at trading because he saw that I was able to take in information and act on it decisively and quickly. Trade the global markets with trading technologies. TT is the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies and trade surveillance. Learn more at tradingtechnologies.com. All right, everybody, we're back. That was pretty cool. Yeah, shout out to my guy, Alex, who's been pulling those clips. That's really, those are really great. And I want to talk about poker compared to trading. I know a lot of people tuned in today to hear about that. I'm not a big poker player. I've played it. I play gin. I play gin every week. So I do play cards. And I do think that there is a mindset to it that I can compare to trading. But I, I know gin, I don't know. I don't. Play poker that often. I haven't played in years, actually.
1: What are the some of the things I already mentioned? Right, the amount of variance that's involved in the short term is unlike most of the things in life. So I think when it comes to people who come to trading, especially if they're say north of thirty, they tend to have a lot of experience in environments, whether it be academic, athletic, professionally, where they have a lot more control in the short term, and they oftentimes have a lot of difficulty dealing with the short term variance. It's it's a very difficult thing. I think. It, Poker and trading, the ability to create an edge when there's a lot of false feedback in the short term, I think is very difficult as well. You think about the incubation, the learning phase for a lot of professions or a lot of, it's a lot easier to scale up. We talked about this a little bit earlier, right? How do you develop an edge when you're one day killing it, next day getting killed and finding that is difficult, especially if you're on your own independent, or trying to make sense of the myriad of advice that's out there. And some of it is good, like yours, and some of it is Snakey, like many others, you, you have to become sophisticated in your ability to find the right people to learn from and poker is no different in that regard. I think the necessity to have your emotions and, and mental game in order is perhaps greater than it is in other sports. It's not to say that it doesn't matter. Obviously, it does, especially as you hear more and more athletes talking about mental health and the importance of it. But there's only your brain, right? As a golfer, right, I can get new equipment. I can find better training. I can find better ways of developing my skills and muscles and augment or deal with my own performance. You don't have that in trading or poker. you got it your own self. Uh, I see that the point here about dealing with incomplete information. Yeah, that's 100% true. That's the false feedback in the short term, right? The uncertainty is very high. So both traders and poker players are are experts in dealing with uncertainty and kind of navigating their way through it.
0: I could totally see that. And I've noticed over the years, a lot of people that I talk to, we've gotten a lot of people that have come from the poker world into the trading world. Annie Duke, she's been on my show before. It's become a very common occurrence, we'll call it. And I do think that there are many elements that compare uh, the two. What would you say as somebody who's obviously, I want to grow the futures industry. You've got a poker audience as well. What would you say to the poker players out there coming to trading? What skills that they should bring? And what skills or things that they're from poker that they shouldn't? There's a lot of
1: lazy poker players out there. <laughs> yeah, there's a degree of sophistication, I think, in the trading world that, that has to level up there and a degree of discipline. And I've talked about this both with traders, I'm not saying that they're immune to it either. But where where there's a necessity to understand that discipline is the thing that kind of sets you free, right? Like that, a lot of people go to poker because they like the freedom, they want the ability to be their own boss, and obviously that you know can be very true in trading as well. But you have to earn it and then sustain it. You got to have the discipline to create the kind of work ethic that's required to level up your skill set. So let's we'll leave a little bit of the laziness behind, but the ability to risk manage, the ability to manage a bankroll. So in poker, it's called a bankroll. Obviously, we're talking about Account balances here. Position size is, is really important. As a trader, making bets of half a percent to 1% of your account at any given time, maybe making some bigger bets if you're really sensitive, but you're not betting half your bankroll, half your account on a position. You're betting like a lot of poker players do. And there's something called big blinds or buy-ins, typically the metrics. So if you're playing a, a, a cash game that's for $5, $10, usually you're buying to that. That game is gonna be a thousand bucks. And to be rolled, properly rolled for that game in the long run, you need about 100 buy-ins or about 100 grand to play that game. To play for $1,000 at a time, you need 100 grand behind you to be able to tolerate the variance. That kind of decision-making within your bankroll and the risk management is, is very much equal. And, and I think, again, like the ability to navigate the educational instructional world. To be self-studied and self-starter independently motivated those are all lots and i've talked to a lot of lots of poker players who they realize that their time has come there's a lot of regulation in the poker world i'd say one of the biggest and coolest things about trading is in terms of scale maybe it's a hundred times the size but that also comes with a lot more opportunity and ability to make it your own there's so many different ways and you know, different styles of trading and different markets to trade and things to trade and ways you could trade them that the variety is much greater than in poker so in some respects, that can be a little bit daunting early on, but it does give you the way to navigate and find your way through to something that could be really, you know, ripe for your skill set and the way that you see the world of the markets.
0: Normally, I take questions at the end, but I, I was reading this. I like this comment that Patrick just put out. He said, In my opinion, poker is a little easier. Figuring card odds is easier than figuring market direction. Aside from the bluffing, one can make money just playing odds. Just talk. What do you think about that? I, I, I don't know that's
1: true. I think the only reason it would be true, and I'd would be because there's a fixed number of cards, right? We know what we're dealing with 52 cards. There's not a fixed number of variables in the market. So for that reason, the ability to calculate risk is is more challenging. But I think poker is a lot more than just bluffing these days, right? there There's a lot of solvers that have gotten involved in this game theory optimal type strategies that are getting getting merging. And they are I think similar to what's happening with trading where you, I think some of the best traders out there right now are are really using kind of some algo, type operations and software to help them guide their decision-making, but they remain really intuitive and really capable of this blend as a poker player would say, it's this perfect blend of GTO and exploitative strategies. In trading, it would be this perfect blend of algo and intuition.
0: Rob just put up something here too. He said in poker, when you move up in stakes, the players get better and don't make mistakes In trading, moving up in contracts, the market does the same thing. Only your mental state changes. Absolutely like,
1: true. Yeah. Unless you're an institutional trader that's moving the market.
0: Yeah. And a lot of good questions and comments coming in. So I want to talk about a couple more things before we get to the questions. Burnout. This is something that's not talked about enough. I hold myself accountable for that as well. I think more traders need to talk about this. Most people know my health issues over the years. I had a uh, heart attack at 36 and I was obviously burned out. I didn't have any physical issues with me at the time. A lot of my heart attack was from mental. I did have some physical which I felt that the mind is what hurt my body. I was pretty healthy and and it was just one of those things where it just I just totally just hit a wall and burnt out. Tom Canfield, a great friend of mine, been on the show a bunch of times, can he? He had a heart attack. Uh, I know a lot of traders that have had our heart attacks or even worse, and we just burn out. We put ourselves, we're just like this, boom, go. A lot of us are just built like that. When I have something on my mind, I just, I'm better at this now, but I just can't, get away from it, I have to figure it out. That's why. How do we control ourselves from burning out?
1: Like I said earlier, right? Recognizing the subtle signals of it helps you to recognize it before it gets to be too bad. And I think it can be easily covered over with coffee and working out and some drinking at the end of the day and whatever you gotta do to blow off that steam. But at the end of the day, like burnout, it means that you have tapped into your adrenaline stores for too long and your tank is empty. You, ha- you have to start to pay attention to some of the, the, the bigger warning signs. And what are they? Typically, it's going to be some distinct changes in your you know, mental state and the way that you're actually thinking about your decisions. There's going to be a distinct change. Look from where you were a month ago to today, right? Your emotional state, you're going to be a lot more volatile, right? You don't have the bandwidth to be able to control yourself in the way that you normally would, so you're going to more easily fly off the handle. Right, the agitation and the, the irritation that you're going to start to feel is going to be a lot higher. So again, like a lot of things, we got to look at the warning signs. But then once you, frankly, to even want to look at the warning signs, you got to recognize that I think traders are a lot closer to being athletes than they are being to normal nine to fivers. And no, I don't think that the 50 weeks on five days a week trading at this level is going to let you sustainably have a career that's going to not burn out. It's just not possible. I think when I look at minimum, we're talking one day off uh, every four weeks and three to five days off once a quarter to me is the minimum to maintain some sustainability. Because if you're like an athlete who goes through cycles within their season, they're c- continually resting up. And I think the bigger question is too, okay, so burnout's like the bottom of it, but what's the cost differential between you being at your A game and really being able to tap into, into your intuition? not all the time, but more. Right? How much money are you making in those instances versus when you're just mediocre? Same market conditions. I, I think there in, in itself is enough of a business case to say, it's worth it for me to take a couple of days off here or there and make sure that I'm actually recovering and staying sharp on a daily basis, let alone forgetting, you know, let, let's try to avoid the real bottom out, burnout, fall on your face, have a heart attack kind of stuff.
0: And we talked about this a little bit before. This is unlike any other business out there. So the harder you work doesn't mean your results are going to get better. Yeah. You know, a lot of what I've figured out about myself is that I don't have to work at that level of intensity all the time. A lot to what you were saying. I just need to learn how to work smarter. And I think so many traders that are up all night studying charts and all these things. It's, I can look at my charts literally for a couple minutes in the morning and know what kind of day it's going to be at this point. And I, I think that, yeah, you have to go through that initially. You've got to spend, I spent thousands of hours going through charts. I'm not saying don't do that. I, I, you, it is a lot of work, but you get to the point. I, I just go back to myself because it's all I can relate to. 15 plus years of scalping every single day. All of a sudden I've got a heart attack. And now it, you know I look at it and, and go, I wouldn't even go back to that trading like that anymore because I I just, I'm not the same person I was then, obviously younger, but mentally and physically, it just beat me up. So I had to figure out, and it took me a few years to figure out who the new Anthony would be, how I would be trading going forward. And that's something I think a lot of traders, you got to think about as well, who and what you are right now as a trader is not probably who and what you are as a trader down the road. So you if you burn yourself out at that phase, you might miss that next couple of phases or the, that whatever one is going to be your most fruitful. You don't know that. Uh, I've actually turned it around for me to being able to get my numbers back to where they were when I was a scalper. And that took me a long time. But I And, and, it's, and it was hard work, but I'm not burning myself at, out at it, kind of going back to expectations, how much time you have uh, to figure this out. I want to talk about bloated brain. This was an interesting chapter to me. It was a little, it's, when I, I looked at it, I was saying to myself, what is this even, <laughs> where, where are we going here?
1: Uh, talk about bloated brain. We've all had those instances where you've been staring at the charts for too long, or you've been studying something for too long and your mind just shuts down. It just can't hold any more information. And so one of the causes of burnout is that there's this absorption of information that's only going one way. And for a lot of traders especially those who are on twitter a lot or using social media for information or constantly looking through news feeds and whatnot sometimes it's actually shutting off some of that noise so that the pool of information you're drawing from to make your trading decisions allows your mind to have that clarity right bloated brain just means that you've absorbed too much information and you're no longer able to process or think as clearly as you would normally and so you do make mistakes in that regard or you do burn out or you have trouble sleeping you have trouble resetting yourself you wake up the next day and you're not quite as sharp but to be in the zone means that there's a lot of kind of clarity in your mind i call it kind of sponge like right you want to be a, a sponge can't be dry right it has to be wet to be receptive so that means that you're ready and and if you're and if the sponge is too wet then there's no more information that can be absorbed or held for you to be in the zone for you to be at your best in the market you have to be like a sponge absorbing that information processing it at a high level and able to identify opportunities. If that sponge is full, at that point, you're more in an autopiloted type state and you can still profit, but it's going to be very kind of standard style of trading for you.
0: We're going to go to questions now, Jared. Thanks for that answer. And thanks for everything so far. I'm loving this and a lot to take in. And I'm glad that we did it this way and getting some of the people out there to react because even the reactions and the, the comments along the way, I think have been really great. And the first question I'm going to go to is Ravi. He goes, can you expand on don't be results oriented? Learn this in poker and wow, does it apply to trading?
1: Again, I think it's, we want to find this kind of perfect blend between being results oriented in the right way and being process oriented in the right way. If you're too process oriented, we don't really know what direction you're heading, right? Anything is like acceptable without a goal in mind to guide you. But if you're overly focused on the results, then, you know, you're not really going to care about the learning and the growth and the development, the mistakes and learning from it and the you know, mechanisms that are required to get better. Results matter. So I don't think it's correct to say don't be results oriented. I think since the, the correct way of saying it is be results-oriented in the right way. Let it be your guide. It's it ought to be fairly implicit at this point that you want to make money as a trader or as a poker player. So, what do you need on a day-to-day basis to be at your best? For some traders, some poker players, they need to think about the amount of money they want to make this month or this year. That's helpful to them to stay motivated. It's like the, the golfer that needs to know what their score is on every hole because that helps them navigate a tournament. Other golfers, they don't want to know. It's just about the execution of that. Every single shot is done to their best ability. And then they know that their results are going to be there at the end. So I'm not in the camp of blanket statements for everybody. You got to have your own formula of what your kind of granular, pip by pip, tick by tick uh, type focus needs to be. And for some people, it's more process oriented. For some people, it's a bit more results oriented.
0: That's why I like you and your book. You don't jam it down everybody's throats. It's different for everybody because it absolutely is. It's extremely important for people to understand that what works for someone else doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And I want to expand on this a little bit too, Rob. It's a great question because I think so many traders have been told now not to be results oriented, just to focus on the process. And I'm a little different in this. Okay. Because I'm the guy like you just mentioned, who plays golf, I need to know what I did on every hole, I know where I'm at all the time. Double bogey, birdie, got one back there, three over for the day, I think that way, and I am somebody who builds on momentum when I know I'm doing good. And when I'm not doing good, I try to rein it in really quick. So when I look at trading, I am very much focused on how my results have been, because I stay very much in tune with the feedback that the market's giving me on how I'm trading. And if I'm doing good, I press. And that's how I've made most of my money. I, I'll go back and look at the best days I've had, the best weeks, best months, is because those months, things were working, and I hammered them. Uh, and sometimes it blew up in my face, but I've gotten to the point where I recognized those moments. So I wouldn't know that without knowing some of my results. So it's extremely important for me to know that. I just want to say that, and this goes back to you, Jared, saying that it's not a blanket statement. You know, I, I need to know that, and I'm really much on top of it. I know some traders that don't even look at their statements on a day-to-day basis, or they look at them only on a monthly basis, and that's fine, but I, I'm not built that way. <laughs> I'm different.
1: Yeah, 100%. There's, there is so much diversity in the, in in, the, in trading in that regard, so yeah, no blanket statements here. I understand yep. what works for you.
0: Alberto is asking, as a part-time trader, should my focus... Different. different, obviously assuming from a full-time trader.
1: Yeah, it's going to require a lot more kind of agile, you know, working in small spaces because you're competing with full-time traders. And, and so, again, what is it going to take for you to make that transition? If we're talking about bloated brain here, which is maybe not the, the primary thing for you, Alberto, but I think it's an important one, which is sometimes your focus can be compromised by the things that w- we were thinking about before. This is something that researchers call attentional residue, right? So if you're coming from work or coming from social gatherings, you've got a bunch of things on your mind and you go to trade, that is going to limit the amount of focus uh, that you have for the market. So that, that sponge is full already. So I think it's really important to have some kind of process where you're like cooling down from your day-to-day job and then warming up for trading. So it gives you a chance to kind of put all the other stuff away and then get your mind really focused on what is necessary for you to actually have a chance of profiting when you trade that that transition is really important
0: i think you answered that beautifully i look at it as if you're a part-time trader or full-time trader and whatever your strategy is whatever your style is you have to build it around the amount of your time frame so as a part-time trader you're not trading all the time it's still a full-time commitment even though you're part-time but you need to now take your time frame you need to take your style you need to take your indicators and your execution. When can you execute? And you've got to segment that amount of time and have that full amount of focus at that time on on that part time. I know a lot of what you said, and I think that's just it's important to really to, to, to think that way. But Jerry, you answered that great. I want to move on to something else that Frank Z put in there, and I think this is not a question, but this is I, I just like this statement he made. I don't know if, if it was a question or what we were talking about at the time. He goes, "My worst days always come after." Couple of days of winning streaks. I I got confidence. Want to add size, and I don't know if the market changed or my trading habit. Every time, I got kicked back to the ground. Talk about that, Jerry.
1: That that may be again around this this topic of overconfidence and how you know it, it's blinding. I mean, I I think overconfidence is one of the biggest risks for traders, mostly because it we don't want to admit that's happening. Right, it feels good. You're having the results that you're after, so you expect this to occur. But when we look at general society, especially Western societies, around 65 to 70% of people believe they have above average intelligence, above average degree of uh, attractiveness or sense of humor, right? So there's 15 to 20% of people who are full of it. So overconfidence is somewhat endemic in the waters that we, that we swim in. So it's really important that you are recognizing the signals that's occurring. And on, winning, on, on days when you're winning, how are your risk parameters changing? How is your decision-making changing? And if it's not, and it's just a, a timing thing, then again, you, know, you said it before, right? How, how well are you able to, to quickly shut it down when, and, and turn it around when things are going poorly so that you're, you may be getting kicked down, but you're not getting kicked all the way down to the ground. I think that's the important part here is like slippage is part of it, but how much of, are you able to stop that from spiraling?
0: Totally. And Frank, look at it. This is, this happens to everybody. My worst days have always come after my best days and exactly why is because what jared just said that overconfidence and but i talked about what me pressing and how i do that is that the more i'm winning the more things are working for me the more things that i see lining up i just continue to add my size i try to hold trades a little bit longer pressing for me doesn't always mean getting bigger it could be that look at these moves are following through i'm getting into my positions quicker i'm not scaling in as slow as I was maybe before, because all of a sudden things are working my way, my levels. Sometimes when your levels are hot, you'll, I, I look at levels as ranges. So sometimes they'll get into my area and I will only get a few on and all of a sudden it's working. And I look back and go, man, I'm actually, my winning percentage is going up lately. Things are really working on my strategy. So now I'm entering in quicker. I think you have to figure out through what this journey that we're on, Frank, and how and when you can press and, and recognize after your best days that you have to come in and just put that loss limit. Maybe you take it down a little bit. And you say, if you get up X amount, whatever it is, psychological games, we play ourselves, Jared, this is what we Yeah, do. that's why we're it's a game, group. man. It's not mindset. Yep.
1: It's a game, right? A game implies strategy and game implies constant dynamics as they, they are occurring. And you got to pay attention to those dynamics. When you said earlier, right, like we're not talking blank slates here, but there are some very key principles that you have to know, right? Yeah. Brain. Has the power to shut down, or the emotions have the power to shut down higher brain function? We got to catch things early. There's a limited capacity to how much uh, space you have to think. These very basic principles. On top of that, there's a lot of diversity. And there's a lot of ways to get it done. So that, that's where the game is played.
0: Uh, you're so right. The mental game of trading. That's why I put that book back up there. If you're watching this on YouTube and listening to it on iTunes later, it's like I said. You got to get the book. Got a few more questions, Jared. Can Jared comment on overcoming fear of pulling? the trigger. I don't have that problem. I'm going to make two
1: comments. One is on the first word, which is overcoming. I think it's directionally wrong. It's super common. So I'm not, there's not a criticism, but the correct question in my mind is how do you correct the fear? Because overcoming implies, let me just be able to execute. And that's not the right answer that you want because it's, you're thinking too binarily. I just need to get into these positions. It's not as simple as that because the trader I mentioned before, maybe you actually have some uncertainty here. Maybe there is some skill-based aspect to why you're on the sidelines uh, and uh, unable to pull the trigger that you need to work out. So if you just overcome it, you might swing too far the other way, and you might be too aggressive in spots where you ought not to be. So that's one. But as far as the fear of pulling the trigger, got to have to look at what the fear is signaling if it is actually a pure fear right? there isn't a theoretically more for you to learn in these spots is it a fear of losing money is it a fear of being wrong is it a fear of embarrassment is it a fear of failing sometimes it's easier to figure out what the fear sorry it's easier to solve the fear by figuring out what the outcome is that you're trying to avoid because that's really what the fear is about sometimes it's fear of actually getting in positions that you're not really sure how to navigate. And sometimes uh, the markets can move in lots of different ways. And so you might be fearing just the emotional volatility that you would experience. So figure out why you're on the sidelines, and then you can start to work yourself through to solving it by understanding the underlying root cause of that. Sometimes it's high expectations. Sometimes there's an illusion of control. In the book I go through, I think over 30 different of these flaws or illusions or biases or wishes that are really at the
0: core of these problems. I go back to, for me, It's I made a little joke that said I don't have that issue. I have the exact opposite of that issue. I've needed to correct that part of my trading. And that all comes down to, in my experience, preparation. Because I go into the day knowing what I'm looking for, and when it gives it to me, I have to do it. One of the most popular tweets I ever put out was, great traders don't force trades, they're forced to trade. So if you've done the right homework, then you should be forced to trade. And there's just no reason you shouldn't. Otherwise, then you don't believe in your homework. And it, and it all leads back to all sorts of other issues. For me, Jared, this was great, man. I got to tell you, I'm so glad we were able to do that. The questions and the comments everybody put in today. Thank you guys so much. Jared, I'm going to show the book again. Guys, girls, get this book. It's great. The Mental Game of Trading. Jared, where can they find the book? Talk to us about a website, Twitter.
1: Yeah. Books everywhere where you buy books, audio, audio soft cover. You can get more information about me on jaredtendler.com. If you go to the website, there's downloadable worksheets. I actually just released a free intuition ebook. This a companion piece to the mental game of trading. I'm on Twitter, you know, at Jared Tindler, pretty active. I answer questions all the time. I like being in the weeds here with you today, Delhi man, and everybody listening. This is fun for me. Answering questions on the fly like this is, is great stuff. And I you know, certainly appreciate people who are willing to work on this side of the game because it's an important one. I think it's often overlooked. And but yeah, get the process started. The road is, is what it is. Sometimes it's going to be longer than you think it should, but if you do the work, the rewards are on the other side And there. I haven't had too many people come back and say, man, I regret working on my mental game.
0: Yeah. You just said it, get the process started. You have to begin this process. And I am a big fan of Denise Scholl. I loved her books, Dr. Steenbarger, and this, of all the new books that I have read, people send me books all the time. This was one of the best ones that I've read in, in, in some time. So kudos t- uh, to you on this. I think it really does get you to start a process. And it's different than uh, a lot of the other books I think that you guys will read out there. Jared, thank you so much, my man, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much. David. It was a lot of fun.
0: All right, traders, if you enjoyed this podcast, please reshare it on Twitter. It's on Periscope as well. The audio will be generated later, so you can catch it on iTunes. Hit the and subscribe button on YouTube. Next week, we're going to be on noon Eastern on Wednesday with my friend Merritt Black. See you guys next week. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Never miss an episode. Go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications and for free content that is exclusively for subscribers. Also on anthonycrudelli.com you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests and they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Futures radio show is produced by Crudelli Productions.